Yes, here we are, the debut of Keel Conversations. I am pumped to kick this off with all of you. My name is Mark Champagne, and I unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. My first guest is Justine Bloom, and I couldn't be more excited that she's kicking the show off with us. She's just, as she describes, a simple girl trying to work out what she was put on this planet to do. I think you'll quickly see she's she's figured out a lot of this. Um, she's started companies, she's run big teams, she currently is in pure hustle mode running alongside Gary V at VaynerMedia. She's the chief strategy officer at that company. When she's not doing that, she's curating her Upbeats account on Instagram, attending hip-hop, yoga classes, and just rocking the New York City food scene. She also recently announced uh, a project she's working on for the Mindful Strategic Planner. Uh, I'll link to that in the show notes, but make sure to, to, to follow along that journey. A really great product that we're all excited to see over at Keo. Um, we, we dive into some really great topics, you know, how mindfulness and reflective practices have really fundamentally unlocked some of her best strategic work and her best self. We get into the whole concept of cocoon days. Um, that definitely will require some context, so please listen to the whole episode to, to get those details. But a really great practice that any of us can adopt to um, really bring some mental clarity in, into our life. The last thing is really, if you enjoy the conversation, please give us a little love wherever you're listening. A review goes a long way in iTunes and or in your, your podcast app. And if you honestly, if you take the time to leave a, uh, a review, please leave us a reflective question that has really made a difference in your life. And I'll comb through these reviews to share the, the questions at the end of the episodes. The podcast really would not be possible without the support of Keo. That's our daily reflection app. All of these awesome people end up in the app to help guide you through your reflection. So give it a spin in Apple. Um, you can search it in the store by typing in KYO. And lastly, thanks for giving us your attention today. Have the best day yet and looking forward to hearing from you. So the very first question that I always ask, and it's usually a little bit of a loaded kind of big question, but it always gets things cooking is just, who are you? And you know, what, what defines you? Wow. That is a big question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am just a simple girl trying to work out what I was put on this planet to do. Um, I think, uh, there's many ways I've always thought about myself with the different roles that I have in life. Um, so I'm a mother sometimes I'm a sister other times. Um, sometimes I'm a leader at work. Other times I'm just a friend listening. Um, so I think about it in, in, in not to compartmentalize, but just because sometimes I think when you ask people those types of questions they just instantly go to what they do for a living so true (laughs) yeah so and I tend not to be that and I um 
I'm almost a little bit allergic to the question of, so what do you do? Because yeah. it just generally goes down a very fairly one dimensional conversation. I, I actually prefer to ask people, so what are you all about? And oh, I like that. that I gives, might steal that, Justin. Yeah, so that gives everybody like a totally different inroad, depending on um, how they want to frame that question up for themselves. So, I guess for me, if I was to ask myself that question, um, I am um, I'm someone that that believes that. Um, there's more going on in the world than what we can kind of see, feel, hear, and touch. And so I'm constantly asking why certain things are going on and not necessarily always taking a very scientific approach to that either. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by human behavior and, and, and why people make the decisions and choices that they do. So, I like to kind of get under the skin of things and to some people that can be annoying huh? <laughs> <laughs> to other people. Uh, I think the people that I spend the most time with, they go deep like I do. Like we have this saying, like we go straight to the deep end. <laughs> sure. Sure. Hence the first question to you yeah. <laughs> is the deep one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really enjoy uh, that, uh, discourse and, um, sure. the, the kind of mental gymnastics that sometimes goes on when a given situation, Absolutely. Itself, which is, I think why I'm a strategist. Um, so yeah, my work day is I'm a, a strategist and running a team of strategists, uh, at a marketing agency. And that requires, um, me putting those types of, um, ways of approaching the world into practice in leadership and also in the way that we develop work for clients. So sure. it um, feels fairly symbiotic. Um, yeah. found a, a, a nice way to use my natural state of being in, uh, in a way that earns me a crust. Wow. That is so well said. I love the natural state of being that is, I haven't heard it put that way, but that's really nice and it makes sense. And, um, so thank you for answering that. I know it's a big question, but, uh, you can probably see why I asked that and yeah. it really unpacks a lot. Um, because you're right. People often, Oh, I'm a strategist and, mm -hmm. and kind of that's it. But there's so much more behind that. Right. Yeah. Um, so thank you. That was, that was really well, well said. So Justine, while I was doing the research for this, um, there was a theme that I was noticing coming out. Um, in your life and, and just your, the roles and whatnot. And a lot of, you talk a little bit about it in, in the Ted talk. Um, but a lot of it was around vulnerability mm -hmm. and I think being in positions of vulnerability, whether it was when, when you were 24, whether it was when you decided to leave the, the company that you had started. And then even, even some of these larger agency type roles, I mean, it's not like you're just dropping in at your current job with this, you know, <laughs> well-defined job description. Mm -hmm. Everything's amazing. You know, you're, you're brought in for a certain reason and it's, it's not defined, let's say, or the role's not defined. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Do you want to call? I don't know. You've probably realized this yourself. Yeah. Uh, sure. And I'm, I'd imagine it has a lot 
a lot to do with some of your childhood and all of that and how, you know, where you are today, that whole journey really seems to have formed the person mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm speaking with and uh, connected with, obviously, when we were together in New York. So, yeah, yeah, if you'd like to share a little bit about that or your thoughts around. Sure. Um, I think uh, over, I don't think I have necessarily always been um, a vulnerable, like comfortable with vulnerability. Okay or comfortable with uncertainty. In fact, as a young girl, um, my mother used to call me hard as nails because I would, I, I literally wouldn't cry at anything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I think I watched ET like 17 times before I eventually <laughs> cried. Um, so I think it's something that over, um, over time I've gotten more comfortable with. And one of the things that I've um, realized later in life is how, how comfortable I am with uncertainty. Sure. And I think that is because of a lot of things that have happened in my life. And uh, I'd, I'd probably say from like age 12 onwards, there was a lot of uncertainty from, um, I went to a, a high school in Australia that none of my friends that I went to primary school with were going to. So like that's, yeah, that's tough. That, yeah. yeah. That started that. And, uh, and then my parents divorced. And yeah. so then I think from there, there was just like one thing after another, after another that made me realize that life just is not certain. And no matter how much you think you've got things planned, it'll always just throw things at you to see how you react. Sure. Which is interesting being a strategist. Right. Yeah. Consistently thinking of strategy. And I'd imagine you're a very organized person and, and what, really, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, but, but just realizing that there's so much, there is so much uncertainty and that, that there's curveballs all the time. It's just, how do you handle that? Right. Yeah. Um, actually one of the themes that I think I've, um, realized about myself as I've gotten older is that I'm now at a point where I, if things get too comfortable and too certain, I almost seek out the uncertainty. Interesting. Um, and I think it's, it is a, I like, there's a, there's a comfort with the discomfort, I think. Yeah. Um, and that the, the good stuff, whether it's through self-analysis or, um, creativity at work or, um, just the, uh, the understanding of, of people and how they work that comes through being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Sure. So I think the, um, the, the vulnerability piece has, was definitely, um, jumped in and jumped into hyperdrive when I became a mother. Of course. Um, yeah. Because that, that just tests you in new ways that I, I, definitely hadn't been tested before. And also I was doing it alone. Yeah. So had to be, had to be open to asking for what I wanted. And I don't think I had been very good at that prior to, um, having a child. And so the vulnerability piece, I think the more I did that and the more I opened up and the more I kind of showed, um, my true self, the, the reaction of the people around me was, um, was the, was the element that I think m made it more and more safe and more and more comfortable. Um, what do you mean by that? So I think if I had have been unlucky enough to be in, to be in, um, in situations where that vulnerability was, uh, was not necessarily treated with, 
warmth or acceptance or okay, got you. then, then I may have been less open to it. And, and I, I did through that journey. It wasn't like all even everything going. Yeah, of course. Definitely periods where I was confronted with the, um, with the notion that my vulnerability was unacceptable. Yeah. And I think it was, um, it was that that helped me to realize how much I needed it because I'd had enough of it by that point to realize that it was, um, when I was at my best self and then having being told that I couldn't be that way in yeah. a, a, a terrible relationship, that was, uh, that was enough for me to be like, mm, no, I'm yeah. done with this. Like, I don't, I don't want to be this person. Sure. So I think the vulnerability piece to me, um, was, was an underlying thing until, until I watched Brene Brown. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I totally know. What you're yeah. And that was like this watershed moment for me because I understood I had never been able to articulate it. So mm-hmm. she articulated everything that I had been experiencing and, um, she was, she's a true strategist as well. Like she's a researcher. So mm-hmm. she had all of the data points. It was not, um, this fluffy kind of, um, spiritual thing that she was talking about. She was saying, I've done a ton of research and this is how it is. Yeah. And I just love that was, that was a moment when I really just went, yes, I need to leave this relationship that I'm in. I need to bite the bullet and start this business that I want to start. Like I did all of these things in that year that that Ted talk came out, Sure. Uh, which I, 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 honestly believe was because, um, that articulation made me realize what, what am I waiting for? Like, why am I sure waiting for the thing to happen to me to make this be okay? Cause it's never going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you on, on, on acting on that. And I want to ask you about that because I mean, a large part of what we're doing with Keo, right. Is taking something like what you saw with Brene Brown as, as inspiration, let's say, or, or um, advice from someone you respect or whatever, however you want to term it, right? Um, Where often the disconnect is, though, is is watching that, seeing that, and then doing something about it, right? Is obviously the bridge we're trying to create with with Keo. So how did you, or what did you do with some of the practices that took you from seeing that TED Talk to saying, you know what, this isn't all right? And you, you, you mentioned a couple of questions you asked yourself as well. But actually, you know, going through that process and and taking the step. Yeah, um, I think there was um, there was help from uh, professionals. So a lot of yeah, therapists. Sure. Um, um, therapists, I love the. I think it's only been probably in the last five years that I've gotten really good at asking myself questions that get okay. me to a point of enlightenment. Um, sure. <laughs> you know, I think the questions have generally come from a life coach or a therapist, or sometimes it's been a mentor or a boss that's really like pointed that mirror at me and said, yeah, saying all of these things, but your actions are these like, yeah, there's a disconnect. Sure. Right? Sure. So, um, I think there was, um, in terms of biting the bullet on a few really tough life decisions, uh, I think I had just realized how, um, out of my flow I was 
how um, mm. dis- disconnected I felt from uh, the people that I should have felt the closest to, and that required significant change. The thing about me, though, is I'm very action-oriented. So the minute I've made a decision to do something, like it's going to happen. Sure. <laughs> it happens tomorrow or whether it happens next year, like I, I just I'm very black and white in that respect. So I think the it's it's more a case of whether I do that mindfully or whether I just cut the circuit and yeah off I go. yeah. So that's probably been the difference in how I've moved forward on things uh, of that nature. But I think the vulnerability piece was um, that's when I, I did a lot more journaling. I went back to um, writing myself letters, writing people that I was trying to let go of, uh, sure. not sending them. Um, there was a, yeah, there was a lot of journaling going on because I think the, for me, I think by talking. <laughs> so yeah, I agree. Me too. Another, yeah. If there's not another human on the other side, listening to me talk and helping me kind of work through that, then the journaling often helps me to, um, get it out of my head and into sure. something that makes a little bit more sense. Sure. How do you think that's evolved, uh, Justine? Because you, you mentioned that you have it, you know, you don't journal as, as often as I, as you used to, um, which is fine. Um, but I imagine that there are other things that you're doing in your life that have either taken that place or it's just like people that meditate, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's great apps to help people get started, like the headspaces of the world and calm and whatnot. But eventually, you know, technically you shouldn't really need that. You get to a point where it becomes a little bit more automatic um, and you can do it on your own. Even so, so my question is for journaling, do you, do you find yourself asking or contemplating some of these questions in your life through other means like your walks or things like that mm-hmm. or your cocoon days? We'll have to go back to that for sure. But yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's become a little bit more innate. I am a lot more in touch with, uh, how my, state of mind and my emotions physically affect me i don't um wait until i break anymore you're very aware of your your triggers i wrote that down because i could tell when you're you're talking about that yeah so i think it's become a little bit more innate because i'll feel something going on and then i'll be like hmm why is this happening and then i'll be able to step back from it um like in the moment a little bit more whereas i think like end of day journaling or when I was like uh, depressed or really really struggling with something like that was when I would turn to a journal because I would be like, I don't know what's going on. I just feel terrible. Sure. And um, I think now uh, I can feel when my shoulders are up around my ears. I can feel like I I know that heaviness in my chest or that churning in my stomach. So that enough to stop me in the moment and be like, what's going on and have that just whether it's five minutes of breathing, take a walk outside, um, step away from something that's triggering me as well because I used to be very reactionary and I try not anymore. Um, and it's been something that yes, cocoon days, uh, 
a definitely a time when I will dwell on that and really go through it more so in my head. Okay. Uh, and, and through meditation as well. So meditation is very much stepping back from everything and just watching those thoughts go by without, um, without the need to analyze them and just notice that that's happening because then I can contemplate that at a later time and things come up that I never expected when, sure. when I do that. Sure. Uh, so yeah, I think it is a little bit more innate. It's a little bit more in, in the moment on the go. Uh, you think it's just time, like just years of the practices? Because I mean, what I'd love to leave with the audience is, is a lot of people don't realize those triggers. And even from like, for myself too, as you were speaking, I started smiling because last week I had that kind of neck shoulder pain. I'm like, whoa, that means I know there's something bothering me. And the same thing as you, but I mean, three years ago, three, four years ago, I probably wouldn't have noticed that. I would have mm -hmm. plowed through and then all of a sudden it's like I have severe shoulder pain and I'm like yeah. a 70 year old man with, you know, I can't walk or something. So like what, what changed? Um, I just think my level of mindfulness overall, and there was probably a four, five, six year period where I did like, like almost like intense mindfulness training insofar sure. as I went to multiple retreats, like everything from like a silent 10 day meditation retreat to being up in the hinterlands of Queensland and trying oh. all sorts of different modalities to, um, to kind of unpack things that I didn't even realize were going on for me. Sure. Um, so that I think was, uh, it, it just raised a level of self-awareness Okay. that wasn't there before. I still have days where I can fall into old patterns and just get really stuck in the weeds and in the, mo in the moment of like the demands that are being thrown at me. Of course. But I can only do that for two or three days before I feel completely out of kilter. Okay. And, and then I need to swing back the other way and sure. make sure that that doesn't last very long. Cause that's when I burn out. Yeah. So what are the non-negotiables then for you? Mm -hmm. And please describe cocoon day at one point. What, okay. that, what, what that looks like. Um, so non-negotiables, uh, uh, time with my son is so important. Um, it's been interesting as he's become a teenager cause he wants to spend less and less time with me. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, but, uh, even yesterday we spent some time together and he noticed, he was like, we haven't done this in like a month. I was like, I know. <laughs> yeah. So, Sometimes I just need to drag him away from the everyday and uh, just not force it, but just it was quite um, subtle the way I dragged him out. Um, but the minute he did it, he was like, we should do this more often. Yes, yes, we should. Yeah, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> so I think that's, that's definitely a non-negotiable for me. And I've always been very upfront uh, with every employer that I've ever had about the time that I need to leave to be home by yeah. the amount of time I take off, particularly when he's on school vacation, school break. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's, that's a definitely non-negotiable. Um, other non-negotiables for me are just from a, from a diet perspective. I know I'm very, very 
clear on what makes me feel terrible. So it doesn't sure. mean I don't indulge in some of those things every now yeah. and again, but I I feel like I make far more conscious choices in uh, what I put in my body. Sure. And I think that level of physical self-awareness hasn't just come from being aware of stress or being aware of when I'm out of flow, but being aware of what impact food has on my body. Yeah. Um, that's a big one. And I think that that's obviously a lot easier said than done, but I mean, even, and, and it obviously relates to mindfulness, but even taking, you know, three to five seconds before, you know, making that decision, or I think it's Mel Robbins has the whole, uh, uh, five second rule. She used it for, have you heard of that? No, but no? I know that a craving lasts like seven seconds or something like that. Isn't it? I don't know. I mean, it sounds about right, but this whole five second rule could probably apply. I was just thinking off the cuff that it could apply to something like that, but whatever it is, right. Just to break it up, think, okay, I know I feel like shit after I eat something like this. Right. So let's just not do it and kind of, kind of move on, but you have to, break that cycle and, and pull yourself out of the situation for at least a few seconds, right. To, to do that. Yeah. It's yeah. also, uh, been fascinating to me how socially unacceptable it is to be like aware of what you don't want to eat or what you don't want to drink. Yeah. Uh, everybody wants to talk about, well, why don't you drink that? Or why don't you eat that? Uh, and I was like, well, you're about to eat it, so I don't want to make you feel bad. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Do you really want to know? <laughs> exactly. That's funny. Um, so other non-negotiables for me, I think, mindfulness of some description. Now, that takes many forms. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's meditation. Tonight I'm going to a restorative yoga class. Oh, yes. My current obsession. Um it's it's a it's a recognition that self care is yeah. not selfish. Self care is um, is something that if I do without it, I become a really horrible person. Okay, sure. So, well, thank you for being honest. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think self care and and sometimes that's as simple as I take an hour and I go and get a pedicure or. Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't always come in the form of, of complete solitary. Um, sure. It, it's not always a solitary thing. So sometimes it's, I'll get a pedicure with a friend because I know that we can talk that whole time and I'm, I'm getting pampered at the same time. So yeah. connection with people and finding that time to connect with people is partially self care as well. Of course. Well, you, you had mentioned when we were together last week, you had mentioned something about that and it really resonated with me when you said that, you know, it, it's, it's less about, and you're kind of saying it now, less about just having, okay, I have to go run or walk or go to the gym or I have to meditate. It's really that you recognize the importance of self-care and it's whatever at that point, right, makes you feel good essentially or that can better your mental or physical health. And I think that's genius because that's, you know, a little bit of an easier habit to, to adopt, right? Versus just, I mean, there's something to be said about having self-discipline for certain things. But, you know, if you're always, always just dreading doing whatever X is, eventually you're going to stop. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really great. That's, that's a great insight. I think it probably comes from, I've never been very good at routine. <laughs> I'm sure. 
I even uh, when I first had my child, uh, you know, he fit in with me. He never had a regular sleep time. Okay. He, he would uh, he would just sleep in random places. Um, <laughs> sometimes in in like a walker. Sometimes in a sling on my body. Like he just, yeah. he just like go with the flow. Yeah. Because I'm not a big routine person, and the funny thing is, is as he's gotten older, it's become really apparent that he is a routine person. And really? So, yeah. Yes. Okay. He he desperately needs to know what's happening, when it's happening, what to expect. He always wants to know in advance. Whereas I'm like, (laughs) take it as it comes. Yeah, yeah. Like, and and that infuriates him. So that's so so funny. A good lesson for me in um, in finding that right balance of him not feeling so overly like everything's overly engineered and there's no spontaneity yeah then me feeling like i'm giving him the right construct so i think my approach to that self-care piece or that the mindfulness in many forms piece is because i'll just take whatever feels right in the moment rather than necessarily planning it out uh take this weekend for example i wrote myself a, a list of the things that I wanted to get done this weekend. That's a pretty standard thing for me. And I do it in a, um, in a big rocks, pebbles, sand kind of way so that okay. if the pebbles and the sand don't get done, I'm not, I'm not beating myself up so long as I get the big rock stuff done. Sure. And the big rock stuff is always things like yoga and, um, making sure that I take my dog for a walk to the park and things that are quite nourishing yeah. or stuff like getting the laundry done and doing the grocery shopping that is pebbles or sand. Yeah. I love that analogy. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So I think that is, um, that's where my, my cocoon days, yeah. uh, and a cocoon day to me, um, more recently, they have very much been like alone time, like wrapped up at home, not necessarily with any plans whatsoever. And I'm reading a book or binge watching something on Netflix sure. or just taking the dog for a really long walk. Um, but ultimately, it is alone time. Mm. And the alone time is where a lot of the uh, the decompression of all of the inputs from the week Yeah. Just settle. Um, and I think my, I'm an INTJ, so introvert, get their energy from being alone. And I definitely feel a totally different sense of energy after having a cocoon day where I'm not feeling guilty about not doing that thing on my list, not feeling guilty that I haven't caught up with that person or I told them that I couldn't see them today. It's just, just shedding all of the need to please anyone but myself yeah <laughs> kind, of, kind of thing. so important yeah and just just you know setting that time aside i think is is, is what's key right and it just you sounds like you know it, it has different views based on what's going on in your life but i mean um just letting your brain settle a little bit right and letting things mm-hmm. either process or release or whatever whatever is needed but just giving the time to let that happen. Yeah. They yeah. also tend to be very free of devices, except okay. for the television, television I, and like watching a film or 
watching binge watching a series I find that very relaxing that's not a um being on my computer or being on my sure. phone there's always that tendency to open your emails and like yeah. plug back in whereas um television doesn't feel that way absolutely well so I have something similar um with in terms of devices and whatnot because same thing our phone is like there's something about it, right? You pick that mm-hmm. thing up and it's, it's like things are going to blow up essentially in your head or your life or something, right? So I've taken an iPad mini actually and just turned it into this sanctuary essentially. There's zero notifications, no badge numbers, nothing. So like that's where I have my meditation apps are there. If I'm going to do my journaling, it'll be on there. Or if I want to, but I can still access, right? Like if I want to pull up Thrive Global or or Zen Habits or something like that or Success Magazine, whatever. If I want to do the reading, again, everything on there, I'm deciding to open that up versus being pulled and and having to react to something. Mm -hmm. So it it just made me think of that with regarding the TV as well, right? I mean, it's okay. You know, I think it's what's key on all this from what I'm gathering you're saying is that it's, it's your relationship to your technology or to yourself or to your friends. It's, it's really that, right? I mean, we're not going to get rid of phones. They're going to continue to evolve. The technology is going to keep coming through. Um, it's, it's always been like that. So it's really boils down to what kind of relationship do you want to have with it? And are you in control of the relationship or is the device in control? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So again, easier said than done. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, I definitely want to jump into strategy and strategists and, and mm-hmm. how, cause we talked a little bit about it together in New York and how, you know, you have some, some, some ideas about how you can help people in that type of role, um, with their thinking and, and whatnot. So I want to just like to dive in a little bit on some definitions, a, you know, what is a strategist to you? Mm-hmm. And most importantly for me, how, how do you think a strategist has to be in tune with themselves in order to do some amazing work out there? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, to me, a strategist is, um, anyone that can, you don't have to have strategy in your title to be a strategist Okay, anyone that can take, um, a lot of different inputs, uh, and that can be observations, conversations, things that you've read, things that you've researched, um, experiences, like sure. you take a multitude of inputs and you are distilling that down to the one thing that's going to solve a problem. Okay. Interesting. And the problem could be anything, right? Just so happens that in my line of work, it generally comes as a business challenge that one of my clients has and they want to, they want a plan or a pathway that's going to help them unlock a solution to that. So the one thing, and it's usually referred to as an insight, uh, that's going to unlock the, the, the plan forward that's where the strategist is really taking all of those inputs. Some of them are going to be about the company themselves. Some of them are going to be about the category or what's going on in culture or 
human beings and how they respond to things, uh, how they make decisions, uh, the experience with that, with that brand itself, the types of content that they create. There's so many different inputs that ultimately a strategist is looking at and assessing the consistencies, the tensions and the areas of opportunity. Okay. the opportunity generally comes from attention and unrecognized sometimes unrecognized tension. And a strategist is then really about saying, well, if that's, if that's the thing that's going to unlock, unlock this solution, um, how do we create a, a plan or a pathway forward? There's m- many things that need to come off a, of a strategy. So it's, it's to, to create a, a roadmap or a set of guidelines or a set of criteria that other people in the agency are going to be able to assess whether they are being true to that insight that's going to unlock. Okay. So I guess with that in mind, the types of things that um, the second part of your question is about like what strategists need to be like, right? Well, I think just, I mean, as you're speaking more so, I mean, it, it's really revolving around many inputs, right? So I can already see how different mindfulness practices most likely could help a lot of that. So my question from your from your perspective, um, again, it doesn't. We don't have to get into a specific practice, but just how being aware of your yourself and knowing you and knowing the different practices and whatnot that make you feel good and at the top of your game mentally and physically like how does that relay into being an awesome strategist yeah so number one thing for me is um being empathetic because as a strategist you need to remove your own experiences and your own lens on the world and see it through the lens of the consumer that you're you're hoping to persuade. Sure. Um, So understanding other human beings requires a lot of empathy, regardless of what type of strategy you're developing. So I'd say empathy is, is a, is a crucial thing. And I think it's very difficult to be empathetic if you're not self-aware to begin with. So self-awareness is, um, is a, is a key aspect of, I think how a strategist relates to the inputs um, and making sure that, that there is a a level of objectivity there. So I think that's a key thing. The, um, the most important to me is stepping away from the computer. (laughs) Uh, I almost feel like computers have have been really challenging for strategists yes Mm. from from the input phase it's amazing how much more information we can gather we can um develop a lot of different inputs because of technology but when it comes down to letting those things collide with one another assessing where the tensions are that really that happens in the brain Mm -hmm. absolutely and that is stepping away from that and giving it time and space to, I call it simmering. So having it simmer and um, 
allowing for multiple different inputs to allow you to make some of those connections. Yeah. The, the, the least obvious connections are the ones where really rich strategy comes from. And sometimes there's, there's techniques that you can, you can use to force some like not very logical connections in order to get to the really interesting stuff. But I just really like stepping away from it and um, what I call staring out the window time. Mm-hmm. And staring out the window time, I think, isn't done enough. For someone watching you do it, they're like, what is that person doing? They're doing nothing. Sure, sure. <laughs> but for a strategist, there's so much going on in in their, the two hemispheres of their brain and all the synapses are firing and there's, there's a number of things going on. Um, it's why I think I will generally crack a strategy when I'm taking a walk or having a shower or doing something that is like completely technology free Yeah. because the, um, the brain knows how to connect these things. You just got to give it the space and the time to do it. Oh, true. I mean, I think people can resonate with, you know, the fact that ideas come up when you're out taking a walk or taking a shower. We've, we've heard that. But the problem is that in our world, and as you were speaking, I was thinking as when I was a brand manager in in the pharmaceutical industry, I mean, a lot of what I had to do was strategy related. And whenever good strategies came up, it was exactly what you said. I mean, it was all the inputs came in, all the meetings took place, but then the door was shut and I either, you know, wrote everything out and just thought right uh, on, on a whiteboard or went for a walk but we have two huge forces uh, against us. One, our own, right, that we're on, on a deadline or whatever the case may be and we go, go, go. And then the second one is everyone around us too. Well, where's the solution, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, I can imagine it's, it's tough, but somehow we have to get to the point where people need, just need to be okay, right, yeah. with, 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 with that time. And, um, I, yeah. I, I like to um, give analogies to other industries because it um, sure it helps people, and sometimes the the most Hollywood like uh, are most helpful. So, um, detectives, for example, like if you've ever if you've ever watched Luther or you've ever watched um, Homeland, and Carrie's got all of her stuff up on the wall and she's drawing connections between things. Like that's a visual representation yeah. of essentially what's going on in the strategist's brain. Sometimes they do literally put everything up on a wall in front of them yeah. because it's effectively like detective work. You're gathering all the clues and you're trying to work out which clues relate to which and what is going to help you to solve the murder or the whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, I think that's one. And then one of the guys that used to work with me, um, he had a really great one, which was, uh, David Bowie, apparently, one of the ways that he used to write lyrics was to write a bunch of poetry and then cut it all up, like, line by line and just mix and match. Oh, wow. Okay. Random lyrics with one another. Um, and that was part of his creative process. Sure. And I kind of feel like sometimes it was a really great analogy that, that he gave, which was that's that's ultimately what is going on with a strategist is they're looking at seemingly unrelated pieces of information and saying, well, what is the connection between these two things and could it work? Mm-hmm. So 
that takes time and that takes um, a level of concentration that is tough to um, tough to find in the very fast paced like very yeah. sped up agile like all of the words that we hear in business yeah. these days yeah you need to be pulled um, out you need yeah. to be pulled up to the 40,000 foot view mm-hmm. right yeah. and out of the craziness above the clouds and just you know de- decipher what's going on essentially mm-hmm. but that could be our that's I mean, that's our whole life as well. Yeah. It's, it's, there's so many parallels to that. I actually loved um, reading a book that my son had to read over the summer vacation for high school. Okay. It's a book by, I think it was Benedict Carey, and okay. it's, called, it's called How We Learn. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty tough read for someone that's going into grade nine, I've got to say. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but we read it together. And it was fascinating. He talks a lot scientifically about how memory structures work and how the brain takes in new information and um, how it forgets information over time. Like it sort of looks very scientifically and um, physiologically at how memories are made and how kids learn and and puts puts a lot of uh, suggestions out about you know, the power of forgetting and the power of like sleep and letting the subconscious sure. uh, work after all of the inputs have been given, not that just like continuing to work into the evening uh, with lots of homework isn't actually very good for the brain. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, interesting parallels in that that makes me think about, yes, when I walk away and I'm thinking about something else, something completely random that's when my subconscious will put two and two together and say, Oh my gosh, I know exactly how to fix that problem. Yeah. It's, it's not when I'm sitting there with the materials, like slaving away. Of course, of course. Yeah. Plus, plus layering on all of the other things that you're doing, like in these cocoon days in this restorative yoga, like mm-hmm. these are all things that help you obviously, calm the mind or be able to release and bring in thoughts, all that stuff. So it all just, it's, it's like Olympic training for your job, essentially. I mean, yeah. Yeah. it's, it's really, it's fascinating. I'm glad, I'm, I'm really glad you brought all that stuff up and I'm super pumped that your son is reading that book, it, even though it may be, um, a little advanced for that grade, but I mean, I don't remember reading books like that in, in those grades. So yeah. I'm, I'm happy that things like that are making their way into the system. Definitely. It's, uh, it's encouraging. <laughs> yeah. He's at a really special school. I've got to say. Okay. Sure. Sure. We'll have to get it down to the, to, to the rest and, and get it in the whole system. I think it's all changing now, um, slowly, but surely. Oh yeah. Just seeing mindfulness and meditation taught in schools gives me so much hope for the future generations. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Um, I want to respect your time, so I'm going to start wrapping up. Um, so I want to ask, there's been a few questions littered through, um, through our chat today, but are there, are there three questions that you could leave the community here with that you either ask yourself on a frequent basis or during some bigger life-changing events? Yeah. Um, one of the... Um, I don't do this enough, but I, I definitely do it when things are challenging. Um, but I, I learned this at one of those retreats that I mentioned earlier, Okay, which was, um, 
I did this wonderful therapy called the journey, which was enlightening. Um, but one of the, um, one of the things that the, the woman that, that does this with you did that I found fascinating was she asked me how I was feeling about a certain situation. And then she asked me, okay, what's the feeling beneath that feeling? And oh, I was like, wow. Oh, okay. And then I thought about it and I gave her an answer like really quickly. And then she was like, okay, what's the feeling beneath that feeling? And I was like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I like struggled a little bit more with the next one. And then she asked me again, like, okay, what's the feeling beneath that feeling? And what she was effectively doing was actually an activity that I use in my work called <laughs> – um, called the five whys. I was going to say, it sounds Simon Semenek to me. Yeah. yeah. The five whys is a great, um, facilitation exercise with a group yeah. of people to kind of get to the root cause of a problem. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so sometimes when I'm, yeah, I'm feeling particularly challenged about something or I'm, uh, I'm, I'm immediately like my immediate thing is, well, I'm stressed and I'm like, okay, well, what's, what's the feeling beneath that feeling? And then yeah. it like, it's, it actually gets to the root cause, which is not just, Oh, I'm stressed. Therefore I should just go to yoga. Sometimes yeah. it's like, I'm feeling inadequate or I'm feeling fearful or I'm, you know what I mean? Sure. Like so many different layers beneath that. Yeah. So that's a question that, um, that I, I love, love that. You know what I what, yeah, you know what I really like about that is because, well, the whole reason you and I are speaking, um, other than you being really awesome, is um, is to provide some relatability, right, to to the business world. And I think something like this, I mean, a lot of people are familiar with the whys. It's been it's been definitely circulated, uh, especially the last few years. And people are like, okay, I get it. You're going to ask me the why, why, why. But now you can take that and flip that for yourself, right? And mm -hmm. there's the there's where some serious change can happen with a person. It's funny, like I've never, I mean, I've I've gone, we've gone through the why, per, you know, exercise with our company several yeah. times, right? I've never put those two to, uh, two together. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, the second one, um, I think, is is to do with the. Um, the uncertainty stuff that I mentioned earlier, because that, that level of, um, comfort, I think usually my, my, my innate feeling is I embrace change. Um, but sometimes just asking myself, am I embracing this change or am I resisting it? Okay. Um, can help me to sort of think about why there's, um, certain challenges with something that's going on, whether it's in work or in a relationship or whatever it is. Like if I'm the one that's being, um, resistant to that change and sometimes that manifests as being defensive or it manifests as being slightly more closed minded or, you know, yeah. when I'm feeling, when I'm hearing some of that in myself, I'm like, wait, uh, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> am, am I embracing this or am I resisting it? Cause I, in my life, I know that embracing the change has always served me well, but it, um, sometimes you just need to remind yourself. Of course. Um, and then the third one is, uh, is, is another funny one that when I first say it to people, they're like, what? And it is, it is, um, 
how can I eat the frog early today? And yeah, I would, I would have that re- reaction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I usually have to explain what it means. And then once, once I do, everyone's like, Oh, I love that. So, um, I'm, I always feel my best when I'm feeling productive because I'm so action oriented. Yeah. So if I have a day where I'm literally just reacting to things, whether it's emails or phone calls or people coming into my office or whatever, if I spend the whole day feeling reactive, I just feel awful. Yeah. And I come home in a bad mood and generally take that out of my son. So um, the, the eat the frog thing is, I think I, it's a book and it may be an Australian book. I'm not hundred percent sure. Oh, okay. There's a book which is about there's on any to-do list, whether you write the three things you can get done today or whatever it is, there's always one that's super important, but really hard. Like yeah. either there's multiple stakeholders or it's just an icky task that is not very pleasant or, you know, there's any number of reasons why this task is not the one that you're going to go to first. Sure. Because as humans, we like to have validation and ticking a couple of things off our list means we generally go for the easy ones first. Yeah. Um, and it means we usually procrastinate when it comes to the yeah, others. Absolutely. So that one, that, that nasty, hard, um, complex, whatever it is, that task on your to-do list, that's the frog. Okay. And eating the frog is like, I just need to eat this and get it over and done with. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) It will be revolting and I won't feel good as I'm doing it. Sure. Get that done first. Like when I get to work at like 8am before anybody has arrived, then I will already feel productive by 9am. Absolutely. (laughs) I love it. So that's the eat the frog question. Like how can I eat the frog early this morning? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that it's it's I mean there's a little bit of humor to it because then it I don't know for me at least it 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 makes you think about it a little bit more let's just say versus cuz you could easily just say right um what's the thing I have to do today right to feel fulfilled or whatever which I mean could could definitely work for people but if you think of it in this way I don't know it just adds another spin to it right Well how it ends up manifesting right is sometimes I'll be like well, I'm going to do it in my favorite cafe because then I'll be able to drink this juice that I like and I won't have any distractions. Sometimes it'll be, um, I really need to get this particular thing done or, or from someone else. And I'll give myself that latitude of not having it on my list until that person has delivered the thing that they need to give me. Because sometimes it'll just, if it just sits there for three or four days, like it's, it becomes an even uglier frog. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Those are really, really great questions. Um, super helpful. So thank you. And I can tell you, you took some time to to think about them as well. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, last two questions. What, what makes you smile about your work? Uh, the people definitely. I'm, I'm generally, uh, the people is the most important thing for me in in who I'm working with. And if I uh, both respect the people that I'm working with and feel I can contribute to them and feel challenged by them as well, I'm, I like to feel challenged. Sure. So so long as I'm learning, um, able to contribute and 
just feel like um, I belong, then then that's that's always a, a really good feeling at work and will will always keep me coming back and keep me smiling. Of course. And uh, last question, as, as you and I sit here today and we're speaking and taking time out of our day, um, what are you most grateful for? What am I most grateful for? It changes every day. Um, I think I'm most grateful for uh, the life that I've had. Um, sure. I've, I have not been always on – it's not been smooth sailing. Of course. But I, it's been through the challenges and the ups and downs and the um, the life lessons that have led me to a point where I do feel really comfortable with who I am, able to have conversations like this where I talk about how innate and in the moment I can self-care. You know, that's what's led me to that. Sure. And, um, I don't think I would trade that for anything, no matter how hard it was in, in the moment of any of those moments. Awesome. Well, I'd like to obviously thank you and acknowledge you a little bit as well for, I mean, you've gone through a lot of, of, of challenging moments, right? In your life that could have went so many different paths and for whatever reason and for, you know, the makeup of yourself, um, you know, you've gone down a really awesome journey and it's led to us talking. It's led to, uh, as I can imagine, you helping a ton of different people uh, throughout your journey. Um, so I want to acknowledge you for all of that. I mean, just being a great person in this, in this world and helping people and helping people develop and learn. And just through this conversation, I personally have developed and learned and we obviously hope to share that with many people around the world. Um, so thank you. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thanks for having me.